Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Marcus Paspitz with RioMax, and thanks for tuning in to the RioMax Tailgate Talks podcast. Today on the podcast, we have an audio excerpt from one of our past webinars. So that brings us to our next speaker and our last speaker, and that is uh, Jerry Doan from Black Leg Ranch, McKenzie, North Dakota. Now, I don't know if you can see my hat. I'm not wearing the Rio Max brand today. I'm wearing a different brand. You know, not everybody gets one of these hats, but this is a Black Leg Ranch hat. If you send $25 in an envelope, Jerry might or might not send you a hat. But take it away, Jerry. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Trevor, can you hear me okay? Perfect. Good. Hey, everybody. It's great to be on here. I sure enjoyed the, the speakers. Love the, love the hat as well, you know. I uh, apologize. My real Max is under the seat here somewhere, but <laughs> but I'm sitting alongside the road, Interstate 94. We've, I'm president of the North Dakota Grazing Lands Coalition. We've got our annual meeting and uh, winter workshop in Medora. And so I had to get partway out there. And so I, I don't have slides on here, but I thought I'd just do a heart to heart talk. I really enjoyed uh, <clears throat> Christy Nichols talk uh, when she was in North Dakota, I, I followed her some and and uh, she's got all the uh, scientific data that we kind of try to practice on our ranch. And, and so I'll, uh, I'll try to give you some, a little bit of practicality, I, I guess, uh, to kind of wind this up. Just a little bit about myself, our place. My great grandfather came out of Canada in 1880. He was a Canadian citizen and he for some crazy reason, stopped in Dakota Territory and uh, homesteaded there in 1882, lived in a sod house. And Trevor, you've heard me tell this, but as crazy as the world is right now, I have to reflect, uh, you know, living in a sod house in the Northern Plains in the winter and trying to stay warm and put food on the table gives me a perspective that, uh, you know, we can, we can trudge through this nonsense and hopefully find a better day. That's what they that was their goal when they came here, you know, looking for a better world. So I, I hope, uh, I hope we get through this all in good shape. Uh, but uh, we run a lot of cattle there. We run quite a few buffalo on our ranch. We're all about regeneration. We're, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I guess, really fortunate because it's unusual that I've got four kids. They all went off to college across the United States and worked somewhere, and then all wanted to come back and be involved in the ranch. My daughter isn't directly involved, but she helps with the hunting venture and, and when we're branding and all those sorts of things. But all three boys are directly involved and we won't go into that today, but we've stacked quite a few enterprises onto it to, to make that all work. It's, it's really exciting to have them. It's a challenge and anybody out there that's got family involved, you know, families aren't always per perfect. Uh, we have a family meeting and somebody's got to argue about who stole the marbles 20 years ago or whatever. And they're still mad about it, <laughs> but, but it, it, you got to have fun with it all. And, and I'm really grateful that they came back. We're a holistic managed operation that runs our, our, our day, day today thing. We're all based on holistic principles and two of our, well, We've got a plan, but I'll just stress two or three of our major goals. We are multi-generational, and, and, and Dr. Nichols talked about this a little bit, and others, I think, mentioned it. But my goal is to turn that ranch over in better shape than I got it, and I think that's, that's important. It's important to me, and it's like I said, we're multi-generational. That's a big deal. 
But there's two things that I think we so often miss in agriculture, and it's profitability and quality of life. And so we we stress that every day. And and I've watched I've I've been at national meetings where the speaker will stand up and say, "We've come to the conclusion that agriculture will never be profitable." Well, why would you say that if we can't be? I mean, I love what I do, but why would we talk that way? And I think you can have both, and we've proven it on our ranch. But I lived the other side, the the traditional side for a good chunk of my life, so I can relate to it and how hard it is to change sometimes, and particularly on quality of life, because we tend to, in agriculture, do the same thing over and over and over and wonder why it doesn't change anything, and, and you get to where you don't hate it. I relate to that. When my dad passed away, my one of my hired men that had been with me 15 years was gone, and my kids were off to school, and we calved in a traditional setting in barns and all that, and it was fun when I was young. And But I said at that point, if I don't figure out how to do this different, I'm going to quit because it isn't fun anymore. And so we calve in sync with nature. We try to use nature to our benefit. Uh, it, our profitability increased incredibly. And uh, I won't go into a lot of that stuff today. And, you know, if there's questions, I will. But when I get off speaking across the country, I spend time on that. But Trevor really wanted me to sink in on feed costs and those kinds of things here. And that's what I'm going to attempt to do for the few minutes that we have. Again, we're all about regeneration. I don't like the term sustainable because why would I want to sustain something that is degraded? And Christy Nichols did a great job of, of laying that out. And, and I didn't know if we could bring them back. So as I looked at all this, we went through the times when corn prices were sky high and I watched native range being broke up all around our place in North Dakota. And I'm like, my, uh, you know, how are we going to compete? At that time, I think we had close to $8, maybe $8 corn. Cattle prices were pretty low. And I asked one of my neighbors, I said, uh, you know, he didn't have any kids coming back. So to his defense, he was looking at things a little different than I was. But I said to him, why would you break, you know, pretty marginal land, pretty rolly, pretty hilly. And he broke it all, every darn acre. And he said to me, well, you're the dumb one because, you know, he was mining that carbon that had been stored up and they're getting some pretty good yields for North Dakota, not Minnesota. And he said, you're the dumb one. And he, <laughs> he kind of had a point, you know, we were struggling with profitability. But so I, uh, I said, we got to do something different here. Uh, he's Winter feed costs, they kill us in the Northern Plains. And I'm a graduate of North Dakota State University. Uh, my kids all graduated from college, like I said, two of them from land grants, one from a big business school. And they weren't, well, I guess maybe, no, I don't think they were out of, out of college yet when we made these decisions, I guess not. But, but they were, we were talking about it all the time. Anyway, I, I went to NDSU. Uh, animal science department. I said, give me all the research out there on winter feed costs, you, you know, doing things different. And there just isn't a lot. It, again, you know, and this, I don't mean discredit universities, but we tend to study traditional sorts of things. And believe me, I spent half my life uh, working to the state board of ag research and education with North Dakota state. So I, I, I believe in the institution, but sometimes I'm frustrated by the process, but 
So cover crops were brand new and, and we had tried them a little bit. We're struggling with them a little, uh, not very much diversity in what we were using, a lot of weed pressure. And so we sat down one day and said, what are we trying to do here? And number one was, can we get rid of winter feed costs or at least cut them back? And so we looked at that and then could we build soil health on terribly organic matter depleted soils? You know, as I was growing up, it was wheat and black summer follow. And, and let's face it, government programs pushed you into some of that, but land that maybe should have never been broke up was being farmed. And again, Chris Nichols did a great job. You know, some of that land is in South Dakota, it blew there, you know, <laughs> and we had terrible erosion. The fence lines would cover up and you'd have to pull them up someday. And I didn't know if you could bring that back. It's not very good land. And so that was our number two goal. And then number three, and we've added another, we've stacked an enterprise of a hunting operation. But even if you don't have that wildlife, or, you know, we love wildlife, it's part of nature. And could we propagate the wildlife? And so those were our three main goals. And we plant a lot of diversity now. We're planting at least 22 different species from brassicas to legumes to crops that really do good in the winter under snow for winter grazing. And, you know, I, I won't spend time going over all that. I can if somebody has questions or or uh, email me or whatever. But it's all about building soil health and, and bringing a natural system. And there's, I can tell you the wildlife have improved, I always say tenfold. Now, I can't exactly prove that number, but I can tell you it's a big deal. And I constantly criticize groups that say, well, we've got to get the livestock off the land, particularly in government rangeland in the West, because it will prove wildlife that couldn't be further for them, for, from the truth and you will degrade, desertify, and your wildlife will be gone. Ours are tremendous because those cover crops offer a great shelter source and a great food source. And so it's tremendous for all kinds of little creatures and birds that I didn't know anything about, plus all your game species. Uh, the whole soil health thing has been huge. All of a sudden, these degraded soils uh, we had the highest total biology test Burley County had ever had at 7,400 nanograms per gram of total biology in the soil. And it goes in with what Dr. Nichols talked about, all the fungi and all those little creatures that she knows way more about than I do. But the synergies in that, and for me as a producer, it just excited me that, hey, we're doing something right. All of a sudden you've got this, and that's from having all that diversity in a cover crop mix, and then you put all that pressure of cattle on there, all that manure, all that urine, and all of a sudden you start building a healthy soil. And then as we, uh, Jay Fear and many of you in the soil world know Jay Fear. Jay was, was our soil specialist for a long time, great guy. And I was told by many soil specialists that in a sandy, we have sandier soil, it would be hard to get the worms back in because it's abrasive. And as we dug up that soil, it was covered in worms like the pictures that we're showing today. Uh, maybe, I think maybe Dell had those on there. Uh, anyway, uh, and the granulation in the soil, uh, much like Dave Brandt's soil was. And there you go, and all of a sudden you're going, wow, we can bring this organic matter back it takes some time, it takes some work. 
So not only did we propagate the wildlife, then we were bringing our soil health back. And then the major thing that you wanted me to talk about, Trevor, was these winter feed costs. Now we have grazed through 200 inch snowfall years. Now it don't come all at once. And, and we've spoiled cows with tractors, let's face it, you know, and, and I was, I spoke at a seminar in Texas and they took me out to a ranch and he was feeding six months out of the year. And I'm sitting there going, what the heck? I mean, my God, you got beautiful weather here. Why would you do that? Well, because we've always done it. Same thing in North Dakota. We've always done it. And why, and why then do we, we, we struggle with profitability? We get our quality of life goes down because you, you can't leave because you got to feed cows. And, and so we've been able to graze without feeding a bale of hay on certain years. Now that the thing I'll tell everybody, you've got to have a backup plan. Remember where you live. Now, the further south you are on here today, the easier it'll be. But in the northern plains, it can get ugly. Two years ago, we had 75 inches of snow and it all came in three weeks and we had three major blizzards and we had a problem, you know, and now we, we've got some really good uh, tree windbreaks and then we pull around some portable big windbreaks and we've developed some water out there. So we're set up way better than we used to be. And you can handle that, but you've got to have a backup and you can either cube them out there. You can take hay out there. And here's the thing. I guess first I'll tell this little story because I told it to you, Trevor. And it's it's just simple, but I did it for a good chunk of my life and I laugh about it, but it's true. In, in a in a normal system, what do we do? We go out there in the, you know, in June or July and we we go around, around, around a field with a mower or a swather or whatever, uh hay bind or whatever we're using. And then in today's world, we either probably put them in big round bales or big square bales. And then we gather them all up with some way, you know, a fancy uh, gathering machine or a loader or whatever. And we either put them on a semi or a stack mover or whatever, and we haul them to the headquarters. And then, you know, the, the implement dealers have done us a great job and they sell us all kinds of cool stuff, you know, feed bunks and grinder mixers and shredders and mixer wagons and then don't get me wrong i love all that stuff too it looks cool in front of the shop or wherever you know i'm not downgrading anybody but then we feed all those well first then we got to get those cattle home so and a lot of we're fortunate because we're pretty contiguous so we can usually drive our cattle but a lot of guys and i always forget this got to haul them quite a ways so you got quite a bit of expense and you bring them there and where are most ranches built? Because the old timers built them right on a watershed, almost always. And we are too, we're on Long Lake Creek, which ends up in the Missouri River into the Mississippi, down in the Gulf of Mexico. I never thought much about it, but then we feed those cattle there and we've got all that manure. Then we go out there and we push it all back together and we either hire somebody to come in and take it out and spread it, or we do it right back where we started. <laughs> Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> and when I put it into that perspective in my own head, I thought, that seems sort of stupid, doesn't it? Again, I'm not criticizing anybody because I did this for a good chunk of my life. But what if we kept those cows out there in a grazing system on cover crops? We built soil health, we propagated wildlife, and we cut those feed costs. 
Wouldn't that make sense? And so guys, we never bring the cows home anymore unless we're gonna work them. They're not in the watershed. They're out there building soil health. And then we brought the Department of Health to our place one day and we stood out there on that system and we called it a biological egg waste system, just kind of a cool name. And Jay Fear was with me and he spent a lot of money from NRCS over the years building uh, concrete berms and things to keep manure and runoff out of the, the watershed. And he sat there and he told them, guys, we didn't have to spend one government dollar on this system. And we're doing all these positive things and we're not ruining the water quality or any of that. And we're helping with infiltration and evaporation and all the problems in soil health that we need to work on. And I got to tell you, they were excited as heck. And yet it was, it was mentioned earlier in this present, one of the presentations about common sense, just common sense. And here's the bigger, the bigger point to this, guys. And anybody that's heard me speak, I say this all the time, perception becomes reality if we like it or not. When we're doing those kind of positive things, then tell the story. Because there is a big dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. And why aren't we paying attention? And I'm not a greenie, you know, but, I'm, but I do want the perception of agriculture to be good. And on our ranch, we do a lot of agritourism and we run a hunting business. We've had people from all 50 states and foreign, 40 foreign countries. I can tell you the perception of agriculture is terrible. They don't think we're doing a good job. And as that gets into the crazy media that we have in this day and age, we get a bad rap. So if we do some good things like that, then let's tell that story because Otherwise, we're going to have more and more regulation of nonsense. And as we cut those winter feed costs, it's $200 a head savings if I can go through most of the year. Now, we were up to 400 one year when hay prices went wild. And I had to cut it back because I had to feed a bit. But we've built hay yards out now or else we haul hay out. Again, it works really well and, and it's easy to supplement. And that. And then that's where Real Max, it's what brought me to Real Max, is trying to find a weak link in this system where we're, you know, maybe shorten them just a little bit. And I think the real product fits into that. And Trevor, you owe, you owe me something now for that nice little commercial for you. But but seriously, guys, uh, that's that's why I came to them looking for that product that could help us through to make sure that we're covering covering the things. Now we'll test those cattle through the nutritional balancer test at Texas A&M, take them in there and see if they're meeting their requirements. We've always been able to meet our requirements through that because we calve later and we keep our better cover crops till the end. So I, I know I'm running out of time here. I'd like to make a couple other quick points. Number one is, and we've talked a lot about mainstream ag and will they buy into this, Soil health equates to uh, forage health and then rumen health and, and ultimate livestock health. And then it does equate to human health. And we are connecting those dots. It's been a bit slow, but that's coming along. And I can tell you when the consumer demands it, again, perception will become reality. Those of us that are involved in this hopefully get rewarded a bit and mainstream ag will be playing 
ketchup. And I think that's going to happen. And honestly, the pandemic, something good's got to come out of all this crazy nonsense. But that is pushing people into a healthier mode, wanting to connect with egg again, much like our Georgia friend talked about today. And he, I just admire that what he's doing down there. So I, I think there's tremendous opportunity. And the last point I would make is, because I hear this all the time, how do we start? What do we do? The principles are the same through soil health or winter grazing. Now, it'll be different for everybody on here compared to Jerry Doan or my place, but adapt it. Take the principles and adapt to what's wor what works and then find what works for you. You don't have to be a textbook just like uh, Jim Garrish and, and grazing. You don't have to be a mob grazer if just moving... Uh, more than you're moving now makes a difference and you're happy with that it meets your goals then be satisfied but so often we try to put everybody in one mold and i think we do a disservice so uh, i think i'm up against the clock trevor i hope i didn't run over uh and if if you got any thing to pin me down on you're welcome at it but i, I really enjoyed being on here today and, and thanks to real max for trying to push the needle a little. I think that's great and more businesses should do it. Thank you, Jerry. <clears throat> yeah, I tried to pin you down one other time and that didn't work, so I'm not gonna <laughs> make the same mistake twice. Well, you know, I, I don't, I appreciate your, you know, thanking Rio Max, but seriously, we look at it as this is a holistic system. And and so we've got to be making sure that what we do has a synergistic um, harmony with all the other parts. You know, I talk about a puzzle piece a lot of times, you know, so you might have ranch management might be a puzzle piece, grazing management, genetics, nutrition, animal health, vaccine protocol, all these puzzle pieces. Guys, what we've heard today is that there, if we get these puzzle pieces in harmony with each other, in harmony with the greater, the greater ecosystem, then and only then will we get a beautiful picture. When all those puzzle pieces come together and we are stewards of the land, I've heard it said today that we leave the land better than we, than we found it. And in the meantime, we can become profitable and bring the quality of life back, like Jerry spoke about. So it's to me, it's it's a win-win. To me, it's an obligation on us as ranchers and stewards of the land that we look at this holistically. And yeah, you might not be a greenie or you might not be that shag carpet guy that uh, Dell spoke about. That's not the point. The point is regenerating instead of degenerating. You might be regenerating your community or your local town or your or your land or your family or your community. Um, and we've heard all of those examples through the, the speech. But what's come home to me, black and white, is either we're regenerating or we're degenerating. So I will leave that with you. Well, hopefully you all enjoyed that. We have these free webinars on a monthly basis and would love to have you live to enjoy the entire webinar and ask questions. 
To get signed up for our upcoming webinars, head on over to reomax.net slash events to get in on our next event. If you're enjoying what we've got to offer on the Reomax Tailgate Talks podcast, I'd encourage you to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I look forward to next time and you guys have a good one.